That's awesome. Hark the herald angels sing. <laughs> Lord, we behold your glory today. The glory that the angels sang about. Lord, we see your glory. We see your glory. Lord, let us be changed today as we behold your glory. Change us today, Lord, as we look upon the baby in the manger again. As we see this Christ child, as we see you in your word today, Lord, change us again. Transform us again today by the power of your word. Jesus, give us ears to hear. Give us a heart to receive. Open up our hearts today. Just ask him right where you're standing or seated. Lord, change me. Change my heart. Change my life today. In your precious name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Give somebody a high five next to you while you're seated and say, Merry Christmas. good to see you in the house of the Lord today. As Heather's already said, it's good to be back with you celebrating Christmas. It's the most wonderful time of the year. <laughs> Amen. I said it's the most wonderful time of the year. Whether maybe, maybe you don't agree with me. Maybe you're not a Christmas fan. Maybe you're a Grinch. That's okay. Jesus can change your heart today. Jesus can change your heart today. I found out this week, I got to tell you this, I found out this week, I didn't realize this, but I found out this week that we're, our church is in the minority. <laughs> and, uh, which, you know, I hear, I hear stories like that, but, I, you know, I, as, a, as the pastor, I, I don't always believe them. Because, you know, those are they're good stories. <laughs> but then when, I, when you see the metrics and you see the numbers and you're like, oh, I guess we are. But uh, someone that uh, the, the general counsel of the Assemblies of God had posted a, a, the statistics, the metrics of churches in which uh, based on the size, because every year, just so you know, every year uh, we have to fill out these reports. I don't know if we even fill them out here, but you're supposed to fill out these reports. <laughs> Um, of all of the statistics of your church. And they keep, you know, the national office keeps all these statistics and metrics and things. And uh, maybe we should. Maybe it'll help the statistics overall. I don't know. But, but the, uh, the statistics of churches our size show that only 25% of the congregation will ever have the ability to experience the baptism in the Holy Spirit and in Assemblies of God churches. And uh, I, I just, I was shocked. I thought, well, thank you, Lord. We're at about 75%, I think, or 80%. I think there's more in our children's ministry, Heather said this morning. I think there's more in our children's ministry on the statistics of that. So thank you, Lord, for, for pouring out your spirit. And I, can I make a pledge to you that I will continue, as long as you're hungry, we will continue to make room for the Holy Spirit in our church. I want God to move in our church. I, w I want him to touch lives, change lives. You know, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is not something that, that went away with the apostles. The power of the Holy Spirit is for you and I today. And we need, say we need, we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so I'm, I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit. I'm thankful, you know, he has a way of just keeping me on track. <laughs> He's good at that. Amen. Well, we're going to continue our series for Christmas called The Mystery of Christmas. And today I want to take a look at uh, something that we often forget around Christmas season, but it happened. So far, we've talked about Christ, the everlasting word. And Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephratah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. And we took a look at Jesus, the everlasting word, that he's from beginning to ending. He's eternal beginning, eternal ending. There is no uh, time with 
him. He's outside of time. Jesus has always been, even at creation. He was God at creation. He was God when he stepped into creation, and now he's God ruling over creation. He's ruling over all things, the eternal word, Christ. We looked at Jesus, the anointed baby. Simeon prophesied over over. Jesus. Anna prophesied over Jesus. John the Baptist. Baptist leapt in, in Elizabeth's womb. Elizabeth prophesied over Mary. And then Mary sang the song that Heather read this morning, the Magnificat. But today I want to pick up in Matthew chapter 2, if you have your Bibles. How many of you have your Bibles? Let me see your Bibles this morning. Awesome, awesome, awesome. I love, Woo! look at all those Bibles. I'm excited. If you, if you don't have a, you know, if, let me say this. If, if reading the Bible is boring to you, first off, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to help you with that. And I'm not just saying that flippantly. That is true. He will help you. He will cause the word, their living words, the words on, on, in this book are not just black ink or red ink. They're living words. He'll cause them to leap off the page. You'll read something and one word will just like smack you in the face. You're like, whoa, that's powerful. You'd be like, whoa, and this you just, whoa. And he's just like, that's awesome. And then, if, if, so that's part one. That's heavy, man. That's heavy. So that's the first. And then the second is get yourself a new Bible, get yourself a new study Bible. You know, sometimes it's just helpful to mix it up. I would encourage you, if you don't have, I'll throw this out there, if you don't, it's not a study Bible, but it's a good resource, and that's the Passion Translation. If you don't have it, I would encourage you to get it. Um, you know, it's, again, it's not a study Bible, it's not a literal translation, but it is super helpful in your study, and as you pursue the Lord, it just breaks it down in good English, it's kind of like the message or the amplified, things like that. Um, so anyway, I'd encourage you to get yourself a new Bible, but Matthew chapter 2, and, and you can tell your spouse, pastor said I could go buy myself a new three, four hundred dollar Bible <laughs> for Christmas, they're out there. There, there's, they're good. there's some good quality Bibles out there. If you ever want to know about what kind of Bible to buy, if you're looking for a, a high-end quality Bible, let me know. Uh, I, can, I can point you to some good Bibles. I like my, this Bible is a good, I'll talk about Bibles all day long. I love my Bible. This is my high-end Bible. I've had this thing for uh, 20 years almost. And it is, I mean, it still holds together. It's a, it was a gift. So good quality Bibles are, are helpful if you use them. You know, if you don't use them, you don't have a need for a high-quality Bible. <laughs> but, but, if you, but if you use it, you might need it. You might need it. Anyway, Matthew chapter, enough of that. Matthew chapter 2. <laughs> I just came back from vacation. You just never know what you're going to get when I come back from vacation. Matthew chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, by the way, I'm going to read a pretty long passage of Scripture here, so just bear with me, because I, I really, this whole chapter is really powerful. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east, and we have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. We just read this from Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. <laughs> uh, <laughs> when they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. Uh, side note. Stars don't do this. You know, everybody, it's so funny to me. Uh, everybody's trying to figure out what star, what planet aligned, what star aligned, you know, scientifically, what happened. I don't think it was anything scientific. I don't think it was anything that they could point to and say, well, this happened in the, in the solar and this and this and this in the universe. 
This was a supernatural moment. He, the star of David, the bright and morning star was born on, on that day. And I, I think this was a supernatural occurrence. I don't know that science can tell you all about it. When, you know, stars, stars move east and west, not north and south. But this star came, right? It moved right over to where the house was. Powerful. And it stood over where the young child was. And they saw the star and they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. And when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and, w- and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. He was an angry man anyway. We'll talk about Herod in a second. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, he took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned, inside, turned aside into the region of Galilee. And, it came, and he came and he dwelt in the city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. What do you do when joyous occasions become rough? and hard, difficult, and unexpected. Mary and Joseph had, had given birth to the baby Jesus. This was supposed to be the most celebrated time of, this, of their life. I mean, here was this newborn baby. The, the angel had showed up and said, you're going to call his name Jesus, and he's going to save his people from their sins. They had seen Simeon, uh, they, they, had, they had heard the prophecies. They hadn't seen Simeon yet. They had heard the prophecies. They had heard about uh, the angel's direction. They had had the dreams and the encounters. <clears throat> and all of these wonderful things were happening. And now Jesus was born. He was about two years of age. And the wise men show up and they bring their gifts. And now the next thing that they hear is, you have to run for your life. The baby that you have in your house is being hunted. Can you imagine the news? It's awfully quiet in here. And I imagine that you're relating to this. Can you imagine the news that your two-year-old son or your two-year-old daughter is being hunted? But this was the life that Jesus was to live. We know from the very beginning of his ministry in Luke chapter 4, when when he begins his ministry, he goes into the temple and he opens up the scroll and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me from day one. They hunted him. They want to remember that day they tried to throw him off the cliff. That very day, from the very beginning in Luke chapter 4, they wanted him dead. And so this was nothing new for Jesus. He knew this was, this was his destiny. He was going to be hunted his entire life to be murdered for our sins. For you and for me, this was his call to lay down his life. It wasn't his time yet. As a child, it wasn't his time yet. But can you imagine Mary and Joseph, what they were feeling in that moment? Here they are. The wise men had showed up. 
If you can picture this scene from they go into Jerusalem and they begin to ask around, where's, where's Jesus? Where's the baby born king of the Jews? They're trying to find his location. Have you ever uh, been asking around or heard the gossip, heard the rumors? People are talking about things and word starts spreading about something. Hey, did you hear? I know nobody here gossips, right? But did you hear the story? Did you hear this? Did you hear what happened? You know, something's on the news or something happens in North Hill and it goes on the North Hill Facebook page or Stowe. You know, everybody was all up in heaval, upheaval in Stowe, talk of the town, all this stuff. You know, you see all these things. On, everybody goes crazy and they start talking, right? And that's what happened. Paul of Jerusalem was in a stir because the wise men from the east, these Gentiles, had showed up and were asking about the king born of the Jews. And the Bible says that when he came to Herod the Great, they approached, the, the wise men approached Herod the Great and were trying to find out where was this baby born king of the Jews. And so He's hearing the stir from the people, and they come and ask him about, where's the baby? And then what does he do? He calls in the religious leader. So now you've got the whole town stirred. All of Jerusalem is stirred about this baby born six miles down the road. But did any of them go to find him? Did any, anybody go to worship? Did any of them go to worship this baby? No, none of them. Whereas they were all stirred up. They were all in upheaval because Jesus had been born. They were hearing reports that the king of the Jews had been born. But instead of this baby changing their life, they got mad. Their comfort got disturbed. Their spiritual apathy got disturbed. All of Jerusalem's religious apathy got disturbed. Maybe today your religious apathy needs to get disturbed. Maybe the baby, this baby Jesus needs to show up today. Maybe you've gotten comfortable and complacent. Oh, those were some great songs today, Pastor. We, we feel good. We got prayer. We, we checked the Bible. We did the things. We did our religious thing. But, but is the Jesus born in a manger changing your life? Is he changing how you live? Is the word of God changing how you live? Changing how you walk? Changing how you talk? Changing what you do? This baby came to change how they lived. He wasn't going to stay a baby forever. He was going to grow up. And he was going to be the lamb, the perfect lamb of God. Sacrificed for their sin. He was going to grow up and at 33 years of age start his public ministry. And he was going to heal their diseases and cast out their devils and minister to their brokenness. But nobody could take the time to just go down the road and see the baby born king of the Jews. They knew the prophecies. They knew what was to come. They knew what was going to happen. But it didn't change their life. The Bible says in John that he came to his own and his own received him not. Have you received him today? Have you received Jesus into your life? He'll change everything. He'll change, he'll change everything about your life. If you receive Jesus into your life, if you come humbly, and just like these wise men did, they came humbly before the Lord that day. They came and they brought their gifts of worship before him. They traveled to see him. How many people traveled the world to see Jesus? How many people... Maybe even here today would be willing if, if Jesus were to call you to come and worship. Would you be willing to lay it all aside, to lay aside your comfort, to leave your home, to leave your possessions and travel the world to see Jesus? If someone were to show up to you today, obviously we know that Jesus has already been born. But just bear with me for a second. If someone were to show up today and say, hey, the Messiah's come. Would you be willing to lay it all down to go and worship? I'd imagine that most of us are comfortable in our routine and we're comfortable in our lifestyle and we're comfortable with our possessions. And if we were to hear someone say, oh, the Messiah has been born. Let me, let me break it down more practical than that. 
Hey, you should bring someone to church this Christmas season and let them hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's moving at Celebration Church and God's doing wonderful things in the lives of people. And I think you need to come and bring somebody. And oh, that's all good for you. Good job, Pastor Heather. You can just keep telling people to bring people, but I'm, I'm, too, I'm comfortable, right? Don't shout me down when I'm telling you the truth this morning. Y'all are quiet up in here. But we get comfortable in our routines, and the town had become comfortable. They'd become apathetic and lazy, no spiritual life, no spiritual discernment. And here the news had come Christ had been born. Does anybody hear me this morning? Lord, disturb our religious. Disturb us, Lord, our religious mindsets, our, our stuckness, our spiritual stuckness, our spiritual apathy. Lord, disturb us like you did, like you did at your birth. Disturb us again. You know, sometimes, you know, people get bent out of shape over all the, all the craziest of things, whether it's the latest uh, pop star getting born again and telling their story, or it's the, you know, way that Jesus is ministering to people, or well, we get bent out of shape over the littlest things. And I just think there are ways, it's Jesus trying to get our attention. You know, it was like you people got so bent out of shape over the Asbury revival and what was happening. You know, there's a lot of people that were excited, but then there was uh, people got bent out of shape about it. I think we, we get so easily bent out of shape over things instead of just, Jesus, disturb me once again. When's the last time you asked Jesus to disturb your, your life? <laughs> When's the last time you asked Jesus to disturb your life? Lord, show up. Change it up again. I think sometimes we get so stuck that we need to be troubled. The town people got troubled when Jesus showed up. Not only did the town people get troubled, but Herod the Great got troubled. The, he was a great political leader. If you go and you study Herod the Great, he was a great political leader and, and brought much infrastructure and uh, economical growth in this, in this region. And he was, he was very, very much liked because of that. But he was crazy. If you go and you study his life, he was absolutely crazy. He killed his, three of his sons, his mother-in-law, a priest, he killed a couple of uncles. I mean, he was, he was murderous. And he was known that he was crazy. He was known that he was murderous. He, he had a reputation. Caesar Augustus said that it's, I'd rather be a pig in his house than a family member. It was a play on words in the Greek, but basically he was saying a pig has a longer lifespan in Herod the Great's family because they didn't eat pigs. This was the kind of man he was, and, and he was known that, that the Jewish people were going to rejoice at his death. He knew it. He was sick. He was dying. And, and as he was sick and dying, he thought, well, if they're not going to cry at my death, if they're going to rejoice at my death, I'll give them something to cry about. And he wanted all of the Jewish leaders to be brought into the stadium. And when he died, he wanted them all to be murdered so that all the Jewish people would, would mourn at the time of his death. This is the kind of man that we're dealing with. So it's not, it's not unlikely that he would order the death of all of the two-year-old boys and under. He was troubled, he was disturbed that his position, his title, might be taken from him. I think sometimes we, when Jesus shows up in our life, it disturbs the things that we feel like we have possession of. The things that we think we have ownership of, the titles and the authority and the thing. And when Jesus shows up, we realize it's really not about you. We realize that we have to humble ourselves on the Lord, under the Lord, and He exalts us. We realize all of a sudden that He's the one in charge. He's the one in control. He's the one that directs the heart of the King. He's the one that's given me the position that I'm in. He's the one that's given me the, the title. He's the one that's brought me in. He's the one that's adopted me. He's the one in control. 
And I wonder, you know, the, the blatantly obvious thing to me that everyone's missing here in Matthew chapter 2 is that the king of the universe had just been born in their midst. The one who's controlling all things by the word of his power. The one that formed their very life. The one who breathed life into their nostrils. Is this baby in their very midst? And they're missing it. And Herod gets mad and he asks the wise men, hey, to, you give me word and I'm, I'm going to come worship. What he really meant was I'm going to come kill him. We don't know how many babies were killed at the hands of Herod's order, but some say in the neighborhood of 20 or 30, some people say thousands. We don't know. It doesn't really matter the number. We know that it was enough. One would have been enough. The point is, is that Herod was so enraged that he sent out a decree that let's try to find that baby Jesus. Let's try to take him out. And I want to say something to you today, this Christmas season. You know, you, you may find that there, there are rough times around the holidays. You may find, you know, we're rejoicing and we rejoice in Christ's coming. But there are rough times memories and stories and experiences that oftentimes come up for people around the holidays. And I find that it's, the enemy tries his hardest to stop unity and healing and freedom at Christmas time. Because it's the time that we rejoice and we recognize who Christ is, that he is our deliverer. He's come to set the captives free. He's come to heal the brokenhearted. And he and the enemy wants nothing more than to stop to murder the plan of God for your life. He wants to come in and try to lie to you about the thing that God's promised you. He tries to stop the future, stop the plan. He's, he, wants to, he wants you to live in, in brokenness, in fear. He wants you to hide out. But all the while, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Jesus was intended, obviously, to go to the cross. There was a plan and a purpose before the very foundation of the world that he would be the lamb offered for you and I. And no, no Herod, no Caesar, no political leader, no president, no government can stop the plan of God for your life. Y'all need to shout hallelujah. No plan of the enemy can stop the plan of God for your life. He will try. He will lie to you. He will tell you to live in fear. You know, that's, that's what really this is all about, is that Herod was trying to instill fear into the people. Yeah, you think you've got the, the king born of the Jews in your midst. I'm still Herod the Great. He was trying to install fear in the people. And that's what, that's what the enemy will do. He will lie to you and he will manipulate you. And he'll put things in your life to try to stop you in fear, to stop your track. But you have to rise up. You're greater than that. You've been called to be more than an overcomer in Christ Jesus. You've been called to be victorious. And if Christ has overcome, then guess what? You are more than an overcomer. And, and if you will stay tuned in, if you'll stay tuned in to God, He'll lead you out of the fear. He'll lead you out of the manipulation. He'll lead you out of the bondage of the enemy. Every time, every time, every time. Joseph had to stay tuned in to the Lord. I'm going to talk about that in a moment, but he had to stay tuned in to the Lord. So you have the town that's in upheaval, you have Herod that's in upheaval, and you have these traveling worshipers that have come in. The town is troubled, Herod is troubled, but now you have the traveling worshipers who said, we've brought our gifts. We've brought our worship. Have you come to worship the Lord today? Is your life a life of worship? You know, this holiday season, Christmas season, we're reminded that even in the hard times we worship, even when things get rough, we still bring our worship. Even when there's the threat looming of, of hard seasons, hard times, and the threat is looming of, of maybe disaster or fear, we don't stop giving, we don't stop worshiping, we don't stop offering our things.
The minute that you stop a thankful heart and a heart of gratitude is the moment that you start dying. The minute that gratitude stops is the minute that you start dying spiritually. Gratitude and and our thankful heart is the outflow, it's the abundance of God's work in us. And if if you stop being grateful and thankful for the work of God and thankful for who He is, then that means that you've stopped encountering Him. You've stopped living in, your pres- in His presence. You've stopped being with Him. Because when you see Him, when you see this baby, when you see the star, the, the bright and morning star, when you see this baby born in the manger, when you see the Word made flesh, when you see God living amongst us, you can't help but worship. When I see the handiwork of God and His redemptive plan in my life, I can't help but offer thanks. When I see His provision and His protection continually in my life, I can't help but worship. When I, when I see His presence and I, and I feel His presence and He wraps me up in His embrace, I can't help but to worship. Thanksgiving is worship to God. Are you thankful? I know we just had Thanksgiving, but are you thankful? Are you thankful for His presence? Are you grateful for what God's doing in your life? Or are you resenting what He's done? Are you full of resentment over your past? Full of resentment over Herod who's trying to kill you and take you out? Are you, are you resentful over what somebody said or did to you in church? Or are you thankful? Everybody say thankful. These traveling Worshippers brought their thanks. I wonder if they fully understood who they were worshiping. They came, they had heard the prophecies, they obviously knew something about this Christ child. And they came to worship Him. But did they really fully understand the impact that that baby was going to have? You know, I think sometimes in, in moments with the Lord... Well, let me, let me give you an example. When I was first called into ministry, I thought, oh, that's awesome. I'm called into ministry. That's great. Woo! You know, you get all excited, you know. Y'all are laughing because you know. You know where that's going. You're like, woo, yes, Jesus has called me into ministry. And it was exciting, and it still is, but it, it was exciting that God would call, and then you get into it, and you're like, whoa, that was a lot bigger than what I thought that was. You know, what seems so, uh, uh, you know, just simple and easy in the moment, I'm called to ministry. And then, you know, now 20-something years later, you're like, wow, that, that moment was so heavy. You know, there we go again. Whoa, that was heavy. I feel like I need to go home and watch a 70s movie or something. Whoa, that was heavy, you know. It's like, There is a lot more to that. And there are moments with the Lord that I think sometimes we pass by really easy. And that, you know, this could have been one of those, there's a baby in a manger. Or a two-year-old, you know, this two-year-old boy. You know, how how significant is a two-year-old boy running around the house? I mean, they'll tear things up and drive you crazy. But, but... I mean, what a two-year-old, I mean, think about some of the two-year-olds you've known. (laughs) Those of you who are parents can reflect back on this. Imagine when your kids were two years old. Really? They're going to be, you know, they could be that significant, that great. But what would happen? What would happen, just throwing this out there, if it, a young age, we started recognizing the destiny that God has on our children. I just want to pause here for a moment and say that every child has a destiny, has a plan, has a purpose of the Lord. Every child. Every child. Jesus, even in his mother's womb, you know, you have John the Baptist, you know, I don't care where you stand on divorce, I'll tell you what, or not divorce, abortion. I don't care where you stand on abortion, I'll tell you what the Bible says. Jesus was in his mama's belly. And he showed up with John the Baptist in his mama's belly. And John the Baptist leapt for joy. Come on now. 
Now listen, I, I'm, I'm not condemning anyone, and that's not the intention of me saying that. I believe that every child, Jeremiah says, even before your mama conceived you, even before you were conceived, I knew you and appointed you. God has a plan and a purpose for every baby. He has, so that tells me he has a plan and a purpose for your life. That's not just something that we say before you were ever fashioned in your mother's belly, before you were ever knit together. The Bible says in Psalms, he knit you together before he ever formed you in your mama's inward parts. He knew you and had a plan for your life. There was a destiny. You know, it's interesting at the hands, even, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something here that, may rub you the wrong way. And that's part of my job as a pastor is to maybe sometimes disturb you. So I'm going to disturb you. I'm preparing you before I do it, at least. <laughs> but every one of those children who were slaughtered at the hands of Herod the Great had a purpose. And a destiny. Their life cries out to the glory of God. Even, even in the horrendous nature of their death, their life cries out to the glory of the baby born in the manger. And you can become offended at life. You can become offended at the hard times. You can become offended at people around you. And it's easy to do. But if you will change your lens, if you'll look through the lens of the gospel, if you'll look through the lens, the eternal lens of God's glory, you'll see things a little bit differently. You'll see things even in death, even when the enemy means things for destruction and harm. If you look through the lens of God's God's glory. You'll see even those, those hard times are crying out. They're screaming out to the glory of God. So how do you make it through those difficult seasons? Well, the, the worshipers tell us something really important, that we have to live a life of worship. First and foremost, when, when push comes to shove and the, the whirlwind is circling around you, you must stay a worshiper. You have to hide yourself away in the holy place. There might be seasons of your life where you just need to block out your schedule. And you need to say, from this time, from this time to this time, on these days, I'm unavailable. I'm finding myself in the worship place. And may, you might have to increase your blocked out time. And people will look at you and say, you're crazy. That's okay. Be crazy. Block the time out. Be a fanatical. It's okay. Because it's the very thing that's going to sustain you in those hard seasons. And so you might have to say, I, I'm going to be more intentional. It's not just a morning devotion time or evening devotion time. It's I need to block out time in my schedule to worship. And that's all you do. You just sit in his presence and worship. Sometimes, sometimes it's making it a point to, you know, you getting to church. You're here for pre-service prayer. And, and you, you make it a point. I love my church family. I got to plug in this morning. There are times where I, I come in and I'm saying, I love y'all, but I got to plug in this morning. I have to, I need an extra plug. Somebody give me theirs. Let me plug in this morning. And from, you know, from 930, whatever on, I'm, I'm praying and I'm worshiping and I'm preaching and I'm laying hands. There's sometimes I have to lay hands on people because I just want to be ministered to myself. Because he who waters gets watered. So, you know, this morning I'm laying hands on people. I'm like, I looked at him. I'm like, I'm getting toasted up here. I mean, I'm like, this is the, here comes the glory of the Lord. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is great. You know, it's awesome. You know, you just have, you need to make it a priority in your life. And it is not selfish. Worship and 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 setting time to worship, blocking out time to worship and be in his presence is not selfish. It's what you were created for. We ought to live a life of worship. I understand that. And I'm not negating, you know, every moment is an opportunity to worship. But when you're in the hard season, 
it becomes more difficult, I understand, it becomes more difficult to take those every moment times, and sometimes you have to be very intentional. I'm blocking out space to worship. And that's what the, that's what the traveling worshipers did. They left their, their convenience, they left their possessions, and they traveled to worship. You know, I would even say, you know, sometimes it's even worth just going, what do you, uh, what do you call it? Not a sabbatical, but you go on a, a retreat or a sabbatical or uh, consecration, all those things, all those great words. You know, do those things and get away. And don't, don't go up into, you know, some, you know, Six Flags or, you know, what's all the theme parks or whatever. Just go, go practice some seclusion in his presence. Just get away as, as a, in either by yourself or as your... I'm prophesying to someone this morning. You need to just go get away somewhere and seclude yourself and hit the refresh button. Just worship. Just get away and hit the refresh button. Don't forget to tithe while you're away. Because you know people, you know, when they go on vacation, stop tithing. Anyway... That's a whole nother thing. So be a worshiper. And then secondly, stay in communication with God. Allow him to speak to you. I think it's so interesting to me that Joseph and the you know they're enjoying their their baby boy. You know, Joseph is, you know, it's not his son, but he's he's raising him as his own. And he has a dream from the Lord about escaping to say, God will speak to you in the strangest of ways sometimes. You know, it might be a dream or a vision or someone come up to you and it'll confirm, and they'll say something that confirms what you feel like the Lord's saying. God speaks to us, amen? He speaks to us and he warns us about things to come and he gives us direction for our life. You know, sometimes it can be the simple thing like, you know, hey, your keys are sitting over there, make sure you grab them. You know, sometimes the Holy Spirit has to be my apple you know, what are those Apple tag things? Yeah, air tags. And sometimes the Holy Spirit has to be my air tag and tell me, don't forget your keys. You know, so it could be simple. I'm serious. The Holy Spirit tells me, sometimes you don't forget these. And there have been times I thought, man, had I not listened, I would have locked myself out of the house had I not listened or whatever, you know, out of the car. So it's important. Listen to his voice. Listen to his direction. Here's what Job says. I love this in Job chapter 33. I'm going to read this out of the message. Job 33. You know, y'all remember Job and his hardship. He went through a hard time. Here's, here's, here's what God had to say <clears throat> to Job. God always answers one way or another. Even when people don't recognize his presence. In a dream, for instance, a vision at night... When men and women are deep in sleep, fast asleep in their beds, God opens their ears and impresses them with warnings to turn them back from something bad they're planning, from some reckless choice, and keep them from an early grave, from the river of no return. Or God might get their attention through pain by throwing them on a bed of suffering so that they can't stand the sight of food, have no appetite for their favorite treats. They lose weight, wasting away to nothing, reduced to a bag of bones. They hang on the cliff edge of death, knowing the next breath may be their last. But even then, an angel could come, a champion. There are thousands of them to take up your cause. A messenger who would be mercifully intervening, canceling the death sentence with the words, I've come up with the ransom. Before you know it, you're healed, the very picture of health. Or you may fall on your knees and pray to God's delight. You'll see God smile and celebrate, finding yourself set right with God. You'll sing God's praises to everyone you meet, testifying, I messed up my life, and let me tell you, it wasn't worth it. But God stepped in and saved me from certain death, and I'm alive again. Once more, I see the light. This is the way God works over and over again. He pulls our souls back from certain destruction, so we'll see the light and live in the light. <clears throat> Oh, y'all could have done better than that. That's awesome. That's awesome. That God takes us when we're in the darkness. 
and He pulls our soul back to light. He'll speak to you. He'll speak to you in unprecedented, unusual ways. In the night, through visions, through dreams, He'll open your ears. Sometimes He speaks to you through your pain, through your suffering. I know you may not like that, but that was the Bible. So let me just repeat this. You may not like the fact that God, that, that the Bible says that God may throw you on, uh, on, on a deathbed and a, and a bed of suffering. You may not like that. And, and religious people have a hard time with that one. Well, God would never. Oh, he might. Don't put it past him. So, so in case that you thought the Bible never said that God would allow you to suffer, there it is. He actually promised suffering was coming. So don't put it past him. Because in the middle of what you feel like is certain destruction, God shows up. God shows up and says, I'll lead you through death's valley. I'll lead you. You are more than an overcomer. I'm bringing you this way for a reason. Jesus had to go through at an early age the pathway that he did. He was a refugee to Egypt. He was running for his life. And it was preparation for seasons to come. It was a testimony to the glory of God that sustained him, that protected him, that kept him. Don't doubt the puzzle pieces that God is moving in your life. It may seem like you can only see one piece at a time. This seems like absolute destruction. It, it seems like certain death. It seems like failure. It seems like things are broken. But trust God who's ordering the steps of your life. Keep worshiping. Keep hearing His voice. He'll direct you in the moment what you need to do. He'll preserve your life. He'll protect you. He'll walk with you. You have to be, thirdly, obedient. In the tough times, the very thing that we don't want to do is often the thing that we have to do, and that is obey. <laughs> God will say, I, I want you to run into Egypt. And I'm sure that Joseph and Mary were like, hang on a second, we just got to Bethlehem. You know, this was like two years. You know, we, we're just getting settled here in Bethlehem. We're just getting settled and, and figuring out life with the newborn. And we're, and we're trying to get things together. And now we're running where? To Egypt. And we're going to have, what are we going to do there? We don't know anyone there. We don't know how to live there. We don't know the custom. What are we going to do? What's life going to look like? Sometimes God will cause you to do things and lead you to do things that seem unusual, unprecedented. Things that you feel like, why am I doing this? I don't, you know, I was like, when God said move to Ohio, I'm thinking, I don't know anyone in Ohio. You know, I don't, I don't know anyone there. don't have family there. I don't have any friends there. don't know where Akron is. Didn't even know Akron existed, you know, except for what's, the, what's his name on TV that he's dead now. I'm like, okay, so that Ernest Angel, like that was the one connection to Akron. Sorry. all I knew. Sorry if that just triggered any of y'all. I apologize. <laughs> Going back to what I was preaching. So, <laughs> Psalms, <laughs> Psalms, <laughs> Psalms 143, don't send me any ugly letters. Psalms 143, says, deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. When you feel like your enemies are all around you, I fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. What do you do? When you find yourself in the troubled days, you run to your refuge. You worship, you run to your refuge, and you obey his voice. Teach me, is what he said. David said, teach me to do your will. <clears throat> I run to you. Teach me to do your will. And lastly, remember, he'll never leave you. 
God never left Mary and Joseph. He never left them. He was running with them. He never left them. He was in Egypt with them. He never left them. He was on the road back from Egypt into Israel. For unto you a child is born, a son is given. Isaiah 9. This baby was God himself. I think sometimes when we're in the trouble, when we're in the storm, we're looking for, as the Jewish leaders were, we look for the person who can overcome the Romans. We want the conquering king. We want God to show up with thunder and lightning and the boisterous voice and I am God, you know, and to take out our enemies. But sometimes he's just the baby. Sometimes he's just the innocent, peaceful, two-year-old-ish peaceful. (laughs) Sometimes he's just the child, Emmanuel, God with us. Sometimes it's just the peaceful moment with him that just to know he's right here with us. I'm sure that for Mary, there was this fine line of recognizing He's my son. He's God. I'm responsible to steward him and to raise him and to teach him and to care for him and to feed him and to change his dirty diapers. Yes, Jesus had dirty diapers. I had, you know, Mary, I have to take care of him, but he's God. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. He's God with me. This baby that I'm caring for, this baby that we're protecting, this refugee baby, is God with us. How is it, just a question, how is it that the God of the universe becomes a refugee? How is it that the creator of the world is a refugee in his own hometown, having to leave and run to Egypt? I'll answer the question. Philippians, it says that he emptied himself of his glory and he stepped into creation for you and I, taking on the form of a servant. He became a man for me and for you. So this this familiarity with leaving his hometown. It wasn't a new thing. He left heaven. He left his eternal throne and stepped into creation for you and I. He was, he was the eternal refugee who stepped in to creation for you and I, a man for me and for you, so that we can say that we no longer have to offer sacrifices of bulls and goats, but we have a heavenly high priest who's familiar. He's Fully God and fully man. A heavenly high priest who's familiar with all of our weaknesses. He's familiar with your troubles. He's familiar with your trials. He's familiar with your hardships. He's familiar with your hard times. He's lived them himself. And today, today, the king of glory is here. The one who's familiar with all your sufferings was a suffering savior, and now he's a conquering king. Gives you and I hope that in the middle of our trials and our troubles, we're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand with me this morning?